the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I will be your host for today. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions, and Financing Solutions is the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits in the United States. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Nancy Long from 501 Commons. And today's topic that we're going to cover, and Nancy's going to give us a lot of insight into it, is workplace strategies for nonprofits. Nancy Long is the executive director of 501 Commons, a nonprofit that helps other nonprofits. The 501 Commons staff of nearly 50 deliver consulting and management, leadership, technology, human resources, and finance. Prior to 501 Commons, Nancy was the VP of Strategy and Organizational Development at Group Health Cooperative and the Director of Quality for the Washington State Hospital Association. Nancy, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So, you know, we we were talking a little bit before we got on air and, uh, you know, today's podcast. conversation about, is about workplace workplace strategies for nonprofits. And I know one of the things that you had shared with me was that you guys really put some numbers behind, you know, uh, some things that might've been thought of that is occurring in employment for, uh, for nonprofits. So before we even got into that, um, you know, it, it is, has been my impression and impression from others that when you work for a nonprofit, you don't get paid as much as a for-profit organization. Do you think that's true? I think it depends on the part of the for-profit um, environment we're talking about. Um, and it depends on what kinds of jobs non- the nonprofit employees are in. Uh, so there's a lot of variability is in all parts of, of the job sector in general, um, though I think the federal data, which is quite old because the federal government doesn't routinely um, collect data about the nonprofit sector, but that data shows that um, nonprofit wages are fairly on par with business wages overall because you have to consider the small business sector um, and nonprofits are small businesses. By SBA standards, we're sort of micro businesses. Most nonprofits, 75% of nonprofits in the US have budgets under a million dollars, which for a business would be a very um, low revenue um, yield. So uh, we compare, I think, to those small businesses fairly well. But when you look at the labor market, we have to draw from the same labor market that government, philanthropy, education, and healthcare uh, draw from. And that really is where the comparison should lie. I think for too long, nonprofits have been talking about, oh, we don't get the big bucks like you know Google or Facebook. Um, that's certainly true, but most of our employees are not in those <laughs> fields, right? And uh, that's not really um, that's not really where uh, the competitive uh, market is at. Uh, you know, we compare fairly well if you're talking about small retail. Uh, uh, you know, small service industry or, you know, service industry employees at entry levels. Um, but for this, the way that the nonprofit sector works, 
we are very much knowledge workers. Um, and I think there is a, a lack of awareness of the level of um, educational requirements. Uh, nonprofit uh, workers are more likely to have degrees, more likely to have advanced degrees. Uh, there's a, a lack of appreciation for the level of technical expertise and knowledge that's needed in our field. And the reality is uh, we lose people to government, uh, we lose people to education, we lose people to health uh, to healthcare, and we lose people to philanthropy. Those are all the nonprofit sector. You know, we are a part of that larger nonprofit sector. So that is actually where the comparison should be made if we're going to try to take a workforce development approach to uh, the labor problems that uh, have long plagued the nonprofit sector and are getting much worse. When you, uh, before you did the study, um, you know, I don't think I've ever really done a huge study myself. Uh, I, but do you, do you go in there? Uh, I'm sure you went in there thinking these are some of the questions that we want to get answered. Um, and maybe you can share with us, even based on the experience that you have, the the conception that people have is conception the right word or is it mis yeah, conception that people have perception, perception. that's what the, that's the word I'm looking for sorry yeah. it's my dyslexia yeah. thinking um, uh, the perception that people have of what's you know of problems in the workplace in nonprofits so I mean can you address some of that about what I'm talking about. Yeah, so some of the perceptions, um, um, and, and, and it's a really good question, Stephen, because uh, if we are going to make change in how our sector operates, we have to address perceptions. Some of those perceptions are, are based, based on misconceptions about the sector. Um, and so uh, if you go way back in the nonprofit sector, I think part of the origin of what we're dealing with when we're talking about um, kind of the labor uh, standards and uh, labor development and so forth for the nonprofit sector is uh, the nonprofit sector used to be called the voluntary sector. It was mostly um, run by uh, volunteers. That is still true in our state. And I think our state uh, in Washington mirrors most states in the, in the country, 85% of our nonprofits have zero employees. And so I always start out talking about nonprofit wages by saying, you know, the worst wage in the nonprofit sector is zero. And that's the wage that most people who work in that sector receive. Um, and uh, what's worse about that is often those people who are receiving zero wages are also not getting appropriate management of their engagement in the sector because our volunteer management practices are really um lagging and um, and not adequately uh, developed. So that's to frame the whole issue in our sector. The vast majority of people who are doing work are not being paid. Um, a lot of them are not being used to the, their best capability and, and in, their, in their best interests because they come to us with a willingness to put their time um, and talent available to the, uh, to the sector. And they are there in the millions, in the tens of millions um, uh, for us. Um, so that larger problem uh, is, um, is part of what we uh, need to recognize and deal with. But when the, when the nonprofit sector was mostly the volunteer sector, it was mostly run by women. And it was mostly run by women who were at least viewed as 
having some, you know, having a, a generally a man in their life who was uh, supporting them. And so there was no need for them to be paid. They were doing charity work and charity work was unpaid work, uh, was, was kind of the common view. As the nonprofit sector has professionalized, at least in large organizations, um, they have tended to be run by men and men deserve compensation. Where, when women were running things, it was less viewed as being something that they should be compensated for. And um, over time, we have evolved into a sector that has uh, a fair, a, a large uh, employment um, base. If you include uh, the larger aspects of our sector, like education and healthcare, we're about 10% of the workforce and 11% of the workforce uh, in most states. And so um, uh, things have started uh, to change, but we retain the legacy of this idea um, that we really need to challenge, that because the work is on behalf of others or for the good of the community, that it somehow deserves less compensation and that somehow the people who do it have less skills and talent than the people who get compensation in the other sectors. So there's a very common and pervasive view um, that people who work in the nonprofit sector can't make it in other fields and kind of landed in the nonprofit sector as a backup and a, an underappreciation for the uh, knowledge and skills um, needed um, because we actually charge the nonprofit sector in our country with the hardest problems we have to solve. Yeah. If, you know, if it's something that business has no incentive to do because you, you know, you can't make money at it. Um, and that's not a, uh, a denigration that, you know, it's the purpose of business is to generate, um, generate a profit so the business can grow and uh, continue to do what it does. But if business can't make money at it and government can't figure out how to solve it, uh, in an, in an, easier, you know, law-based, you know, based on, on passing laws, then it's given to the nonprofit sector. And we have complicated problems, interconnected problems, um, problems that, um, that involve needing the cooperation of government and the business community uh, to solve, which are always harder to work on than something where you, you know, if you can produce a product and you can control your um, production process, you know, you can be in business. But in the nonprofit sector, we're mostly working with humans and systems, and it is very hard, very complex work, um, and it deserves our respect, and it deserves an appreciation for um, the you know, level of talent and skill that's needed uh, to be in the sector. So we've excused, and, and when I say we, I mean people in the sector as well as the larger community, we've excused the fact that um, we are not... Uh, providing reasonable compensation, particularly at the lower levels, particularly for the folks who are shelter workers, childcare workers, um, drivers, people who are doing the um, entry level jobs in non nonprofits or the type lowest paid level, not, not always entry level, but lowest paid level jobs in nonprofits are being paid um, uh, at a level that is uh, below what the marketplace would pay them. And, they, and therefore, the, especially in these times, they have the opportunity to go into other sectors where they will have a higher standard of living. 
Yeah, I, you know, there's uh, something I want to add too. I had learned this a couple of months ago that the nonprofit sector is the third biggest industry in the United States. Now, I, I uh, someone like you who kind of looks at data, uh, I, I can't answer the question. Is it based on the revenue uh, that the nonprofits produce or the amount of employees that work there? But, uh, but um, I think that's it is it, revenue that by employees, it's a smaller, uh, it's smaller. Yeah. yeah. But so by revenue. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's still, it was a shocking uh, 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 figure for me that it was the third largest. I mean, if I had asked, uh, you know, any of my friends, what's the three biggest industries or the five biggest industries in the United States, no one would have ever said nonprofits, you know? So it was really interesting. Um, So, and then the the, the second question I want to ask you, and I don't, I don't think that probably the study, we're going to get to the the details of the study in in a little bit. Um, uh, Is it, do you think that this is the, uh, the idea I have, the more professionally run the nonprofit, the better organized it is. The the uh, you know we have to think about what the definition would be a well-run professional nonprofit. But I think we all know what that means, right? Does do they pay their staff better than the organizations that are not uh, that are newer? that are uh, not run as well. Uh, and that's, I'm not saying that not new nonprofits are not, not well formalized, run. Well. I would say, right. not as formally. Formalized, yeah. yeah More right. experienced, you know, they've, they've yeah. been around for a while, stuff like that. Is there a correlation between a, a nonprofit being, uh, uh, paying their staff uh, at a market rate and then doing better? No, there isn't. And government is the reason why the answer is no. So a lot of the larger uh, nonprofits, uh, a big part of their revenue comes from government grants. And government routinely pays nonprofit service providers um, a partial rate, uh, sometimes as low as 40% of the cost to provide the service. And so they're not paying the full cost of the service. And that is constraining revenues in those larger uh, organizations. So while larger organizations may have more formalized uh, compensation systems, which is important for internal equity, which is something we should talk about a little yeah. bit too, um, they won't necessarily have the revenue by the nature of their business model to uh, pay people uh, salaries that are competitive, um, even within the, the community-based nonprofit sector or the larger nonprofit sector. One of the distinctions I want to make for the conversation, just when we're talking about nonprofit, you know, a huge part of the nonprofit sector in terms, particularly in terms of that revenue figure, comes out of healthcare. Uh, it's different in different states, but in Washington State, almost all of our healthcare is nonprofit, you know, organized as nonprofit insurance companies, hospitals, uh, clinics, and so forth. Um, education is another huge part of the nonprofit sector and, and where a lot of the revenue comes from. Um, and um, and again, paid at a much higher rate um, and where the competition is between the for-profit and, and um, non-profit or government-sponsored uh, educational uh, system. When I'm referring to the community that we are primarily focused on, we're talking about the community-based nonprofit sector. 
so that includes aspects of healthcare, um, uh, community-based healthcare providers, and a lot of health uh, prevention, health uh, support uh, systems, uh, educational, particularly around early uh, learning, uh, childcare, uh, before and after school programs, access to um, uh, higher ed, and those kinds of programs. Um, all the homeless services, low-income housing, um, and then many, many other sectors, uh, such as environmental support, um, animal-related uh, organizations, a lot of civic organizations, professional organizations, and so forth. So you have a very varied landscape. And I would say that that pay is not, um, uh, uh, pay levels is not directly related to size, but formalization of compensation systems is related to size. So a smaller nonprofit, and small does not necessarily mean new. Most nonprofits are small. Yes. Uh, there are many nonprofits that been around for 100 years. They're still small, and, and that's partly the nature of what they, uh, what they do and um, partly the nature of the lack of capital access in our sector, which is a whole other conversation uh, that we could get into, that we don't, you know, but there's no way to capitalize um, success in the nonprofit sector in a straightforward um, fashion, but uh, but when you when you look across the nonprofit uh, community based nonprofit sector, you see kind of a U shaped pattern um, where um, uh, the organizations, the larger organizations, may have may have the most employees, they have the most formalized uh, systems, and um, they um, they may pay their executives well because their executives have a range of responsibility because they're caring for you know a workforce of, of a large number, hundreds of people. But their lower paid workers, their um, their uh, people who are delivering services directly, are often paid very low, and it's tied to the fact that those organizations often are primarily funded by government uh, grants. And then when you get to the very small organizations, unless it's a revenue-based organization, like it happens in the arts, uh, some educational fields and so forth, um, you have a, a, just a very varied scene. It can be um, organizations that are paid very poorly or just basically one step kind of a subsistence wages, one step above being all volunteer, uh, just trying to move a little bit of money into people's pockets so they can you know, be paid for part of their time, but they're basically... People are um, volunteering uh, their time with very few paid uh, folks, or you can have uh, well-funded uh, organizations that either have strong philanthropic funding, where you actually get higher wages in some of the small organizations. So it's it's a very varied pattern. The underlying systemic thing we need to be dealing with is the uh, problem of wages that are below a living wage level. Um, in the sector that are hitting the lower paid workers and are causing our sector to fail in some pretty fundamental ways. And it's childcare is one of the, you know, childcare is kind of the canary in the mine around, um, around this because um, the uh, uh, childcare workforce, um, when it has other opportunities, when the labor market is the way it is now, where there are lots, lots of open um, opportunities, it really makes no sense for somebody from an economic or self-interest to be in the childcare uh, business because the pay is so low. And so states need to take action to develop a workforce around childcare or 
the entire economy suffers when the childcare workforce is not maintained. Um, and this is an example of how the nonprofit, you know, economic bubble um, <laughs> peer, gets pierced and <clears throat> causes big problems for our larger economy. Um, if the before and after school programs and the childcare programs are not being adequately funded, if their workforce is not being adequately compensated, then you have people sitting out of the workforce as we have, uh, particularly coming out of the pandemic, just because they, you know, they need to care for their kids. And that is yeah. uh, particularly hitting women hard and hitting women's careers and earning potential. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's not related to child care, but the talking about the salaries, uh, I do a lot of podcasts with guests, uh, with uh, experts in fundraising, you know, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've learned is how uh, nonprofits, again, I, you know, our listeners are a lot of smaller nonprofits, um, how they're, they're afraid to ask for donations that could, can be unrestricted so that they can use it for their internal purposes, which of Mm -hmm. course would be salaries. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and how a lot of, you know, smaller nonprofits when they get into fundraising have to really learn to ask for And so it's almost that they're afraid to, because, you know, when you start your nonprofit, you're doing it for the the purpose and the cause and, and that, that, you know, that's what drives you. Um, but you also have to be able to pay people, a living wage at least, you know? And, uh, and I think that there's this, this taboo behind, Oh, well, we're going to pay. Um, we need to pay our people. We need to pay them better, you know, or, or at least a market rate. Right. Yeah. So I think, absolutely. I think it is a, an issue where I agree. You know, I think we are our own worst enemy in, in yeah. many aspects of these. And, and I think that, that we need to take responsibility for the ways in which the nonprofit sectors, um, uh, relationship with donors um, and relationship with our employees and um, uh, an understanding of our finances. Some of it comes back to actually really understanding the full cost of doing business um, and how that is affecting uh, this issue. So yeah. um, when nonprofits say to a donor, 100% of what you give us is going to go to the beneficiary of our services, they are essentially lying. And it's a lie donors love, so nonprofits keep telling it. Um, but um, uh, you know that kind of um, kind of mischaracterization of how work gets done, how services get made, and how they get delivered—that's um, that's on us that we do that. When um, uh, you know, when I'm around funders, funders will often talk in the. In, I'm talking primarily about private philanthropy. They'll talk about what they're doing with their money. They're solving this problem. They're solving that problem. Their money is doing these great things in our community. And that is absolutely uh, their intent. Um, but their money doesn't do the work. People do the work. People do the work, not money. And so we need to understand that we have to put people first. That's sort of the moniker of this whole effort that we're engaged in and understanding how non- people who work in nonprofits feel through a, a uh, employee engagement study that we've done uh, for nonprofits in our county that involved 1,100 employees and the wage study that we've done for the um, King County, which is the Seattle metropolitan um, kind of area market, people who serve King County and are in King County, 
Um, the wage study that we've done, which involves 233 organizations that participated in our first um, round. And we're using that data to try to shape a picture, which I think has applicability uh, throughout the country um, that recognizes that if you have employees who are generally happy with their job, which even in the midst of the pandemic, which is when we did this study, we found employees were incredibly proud of what they do. Um, they, um, they feel confident that the programs that they're working on are making a difference in people's lives, but they um, do not feel they're getting fairly compensated and they feel uh, like there is um, pressure for them to leave the sector. That as much as they love their work and feel like they're good at their work, they have to leave the sector. <clears throat> and then when we look at the data, we see you know, significant numbers of people uh, that are below the living wage. Um, and our state has one of the highest minimum wages in the country. But minimum wage, even in our state, is still a poverty wage. And it makes no sense to pay people who are trying to address poverty and the effects of poverty in our society to pay them to live in poverty, which is what we're what we're often doing um, uh, in the sector. So um, what we see is that uh, the nonprofit sector needs to take its accountability, and then it needs to carry accountability to the sectors, the philanthropic sector and government uh, in particular, that it has to partner with. And that partnership needs to be on a more even um, stance. The things nonprofits can do is better understand the wages that are being paid in the sector, which takes compensation studies to do that. And some communities across the country have those studies. We worked with an um, organization called Nonprofit Compensation Associates, uh, Rita Heronian, and their company has done about 50 nonprofit uh, studies <coughs> Excuse me, over the years. And, um, uh, and that really helps to have the, have the data um, uh, to, to work from. Um, and so you need to have the compensation information. You need to compare what you're paying to other nonprofits. And then over time, we also need to understand the question you originally asked me about, how does nonprofit pay look compared to the other sectors? Yeah. Our, our city Informa is doing... I'm sorry. Informa information is power, isn't it? It is. And our city yeah. is actually going to do a study looking at human service um, salaries as compared to for-profit. Um, it's really important that they uh, focus on the government sector as well, um, and not take themselves off the hook when they do that. Uh, but we also need to, um, we need to have some practices, we need to look at our practices in the nonprofit sector and make sure that we're using the best um, approaches to compensation for what resources we have. One of our um, services in our organization is HR services. And we often, and we work with relatively, like organizations of all sizes, but from newer organizations to longstanding organizations. And organizations often don't have formalized compensation practices. Um, and so they're paying people um, basically what they can get away with paying them, you know. And um, we have a, um, a law in our state that now requires that we don't ask people when we're hiring, we don't ask people what their previous salary was, that the salary is published and advanced. And those are, uh, those are, um, practices that I, we would hope that other communities would emulate. Um, and uh, it was primarily aimed at gender discrimination. And there is 
still gender discrimination, including in our sector, but there's also uh, discrimination based on people being foreign born, uh, younger people, older people, people of color. There, there are lots of basis um, that mirrors what's happening in the larger economy for ways in which we're not um, treating people the way that we should be treating them, um, okay. particularly given the value systems of our sector. Yeah, so we're going to take a stop here and then uh, just to, to do one quick advertisement and then we're going to come back with some really, I want to ask Nancy some, you know, her experience with the data she's seen, how this really comes down to workplace strategies for, you know, creating a great nonprofit to, you know, to work for. And so, as I mentioned earlier, I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Uh, we are the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits. Many of you will be surprised by that because uh, there really isn't many players in that space. As you know, uh, you would maybe go to a commercial bank and that's, that's a real challenge. Um, so our line of program is specifically designed for nonprofits. It's easy, it's inexpensive, and it costs nothing until used, making it really a great cash backup plan for your nonprofit. 75% of the time, um, the line of credit is used to make payroll. So it's a good conversation in regards to workplace strategies, right? Um, And it's usually just because there's been a a, a hiccup. There's been a delay in funding or reimbursements. uh, And... um, if you like, if you'd like to learn more about the program, please, please visit us at nonprofitmbapodcast.com or call us at 862-207-4118. And if you decide to apply today after this podcast, we'll even give you a $250 credit on file once you become a client. Um, and just remember that time to set up your line of credit is now, not when an emergency comes up, because it does take a little bit of time. Not bad, but it does take a little bit of time. So coming back to our conversation, Nancy, with all your experience, with the data that you saw on this, how does an executive director of a smaller nonprofit, and when I say smaller, it's under $5 million in revenue. It's above, we consider over $500,000 in revenue to be, you know, uh, it's really our niche, but, uh, and that doesn't mean that you need $500,000 just to get a line of credit, but um what what would you recommend to an executive director to really create a, a great workplace? Well, uh, let me let me just say first of all this for this conversation. Let's focus on compensation. I agree, and, uh, and I, I I felt yeah. weird when I said it because just so that everybody knows in the business world, um, turnover is always a reflection of management. It is it is ne- it is. It is never only a compensation issue. And think about yourself. You will stay at a job because you really like your boss. You like your company. And you may not even look for another job because you're like, oh, my God, what? I might go somewhere else and get paid more, but I may get a crappy boss. I may not like what we're doing. So it, you know, having a great organization from that stand is important. But let's let's talk, Nancy. Like you said, from a compensation mm-hmm. fa- standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and to your point about the kind of the culture, um, one of the things that has protected the nonprofit sector is the culture um, in the in the in the sector. We saw that even even though the pandemic was really hard on on workers. Um, um, what they um, reported 
<coughs> excuse me, catching my throat here, uh, what they reported was a high level of satisfaction with the work that they were doing, the high level of commitment to the work that they're doing. That is an asset we kind of take for granted. And to the point that you just made about what happens in the for-profit um, sector, um, we need to back up that general orientation that our employees have to want to work in the sector, to want to have their lives have meaning um, for other people that want to benefit the world in some way. We need to not take that for granted and build on it by helping people have a great experience um, in the workforce, which goes to the kind of the management issues that you're talking about. <clears throat> and then we'll put those aside for a minute, but also have the practical aspect of being able to afford to work in, in our sector, uh, especially younger workers, to be able to choose the sector as a lifelong career. Um, because we cannot afford to lose the expertise, um, the knowledge, the lived experience that um, happen, you know, that we that we get attracted to our organization uh, when people are earlier in their careers. Um, and right now, the risk is that we are losing those folks to our neighboring sectors, healthcare, education, government, and philanthropy, and some to business, certainly, too. Um, and so having the sector be less at a disadvantage in that landscape is really critical to being able to solve the problems that we assign nonprofits to, to solve in our society. Um, so that starts with having good uh, understanding of how your pay practices relate to other nonprofits. Uh, we always make the point that the data that we're sharing is not about what should be, it is about what is, but you can only figure out your goal and your uh, your pathway to get to what should be by starting out with what, uh, with what is. And so if you can access uh, wage information for the nonprofit sector, um, for specific for your community, if you can do a wage study uh, in your community and see that one gets organized to do, um, that is uh, very, very valuable. Uh, in the meantime, you can use the ones that exist. There's one for Northern California. There's one for Southern California. There's ours in um, uh, King County. Um, they, they cost a few hundred dollars to get, but I think it's well worth to get at least some kind of wage study that allows you to um, benchmark your wages um, uh, uh, to the data in that study. One of the things that happens when you do that is you get better internal equity. So often people are being paid based on kind of what their starting salary was and then just getting bumps as they go along. And that starting salary could have been very inequitable. And the job they were hired into may not be the job they're doing today. So having a formal review every year of what is everybody being paid, how does that compare to what we know, ideally some, some actual data about your community, but what we know about what pay is in our sector, and creating a um, essentially a table that says, here's what we know about the sector, here's our people, here's their job categories, and what we have benchmarked them to uh, through the data, and how we sit compared to that benchmark data. And even if you're a small nonprofit with really scrapped for resources, if you can start by benchmarking yourself, um, let's say you might start with 
just trying to benchmark yourself to the median. So 50% of people are paid more, 50% of people are paid less, but you're trying to get your people to that kind of median point. And if you can set the goal that that's where salaries are going to be set, and then everybody's salary is, is viewed compared to that median. Nonprofit employees often feel like they are personally being uh, disadvantaged in what they're being paid. They're not being paid fairly personally, or they worry that coworkers are not being paid uh, fairly. And and I think their worry is probably often um, well-placed. Um, yeah. Because if we do that kind of benchmarking, you'll find that there are people who are way overpaid. They might have been better self-advocates. They might mm. have been a star when you hired them and they took, you know, paying them more to get them. Um, they might have just been there longer and just the bumps have just kind of sent them uh, up the ladder. And then you have people who are being way underpaid uh, by comparison to a similar job uh, in the marketplace. Let That's me, the baseline th- for, comp- for compensation. Let me ask my last question of the podcast, and that is, um, is there a reason why you only benchmark against nonprofits and not benchmark against the industry? Like, you know, I'm sorry, the for-profit industry, because, you know, I'm sure these, as an executive director, you get into the scenario where you start losing one or two people and you ask them why they left and they said, I'm getting 30% more pay. I can't afford to work here or whatever the thing is. And then you're like, oh my God, we have a problem, you know? Um, but is there a reason why you're suggesting that you don't benchmark against for-profit? It's fairly easy to get just, you know, through, uh, just on the internet through um, Payscale and other, you know, the um, job sites. It's pretty easy to get job information for for-profit these days. It's not, it's not going to be perfect, but they, you know, you can look at five sites and kind of get a good idea. So it's, you, you can definitely do that for jobs that have a strong, um, Comparison. So, an accountant, for example, that works in a nonprofit versus an accounting job uh, in the for-profit industry, um, you can you can do that. But uh, certainly, and that will um, sometimes you know uh, sometimes support uh, the data that nonprofits are paid less than business. Sometimes sometimes it won't. It just depends on the um, on the scale. But I think from the standpoint of of working with your employees around this problem. For most people, you can't solve the problem uh, without taking your entire employee group up the scale. And it helps to be able to say to employees, we are benchmarking to 50%. We have evaluated all of your salaries Mm. and we've made sure that nobody is below that 50% mark. And we are going to our funders, we're going to our government contracts, and we're saying this is not good enough and we want to benchmark to the 75% level, and we want to get there in a two-year time frame, and and ultimately to you know 100% of benchmark or whatever, um, and or that we are setting a living wage as our minimum salary, and nobody is being paid below the living wage. And that data, by the way, is available from the MIT Living Wage Study, is updated every year and is available uh, for around the uh, country. And then okay. say to your funders um, and to government. We have raised our wages so that nobody's paid below the living wage. Yeah. We need our grant to go up or we need our contract yeah. to adjust to uh, to get to that. You well, have make to a lot. pathway. And that yeah, pathway make... needs to be not just around one job, but around the oh. whole. Well, uh, we make a lot of people happy. They all be jumping up and down, I think, you know. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Uh, before we get into just wrapping everything up, uh, 401 common, a uh, 501 commons, uh, sorry, 501 commons, um, your company, uh, I, why don't you give us just a quick uh, blurb of what you guys do? Cause I know I talked yeah. about it, but. Yeah. So we are a nonprofit that supports the success of other nonprofits, um, in service of our community. Our ultimate goal is that all, uh, you know, people in communities that we serve thrive. We, we serve organizations all across the country, but we are based in Seattle and have the, the strongest presence in Washington uh, state. And we provide uh, services in a, way, a wide variety of areas because this is what nonprofits need. We provide HR, finance, management consulting, data services, technology, and fundraising support uh, to organizations. We have a very in, uh, intense um, website that has a lot of data on it and, and resources, and I encourage people to use that. We have a listing service for consultants that serve the nonprofit sector, many of them uh, nationally, so I encourage people to look at that. Um, and we have um, the, uh, a model for providing services that we would like to see spread across the country because it would so elevate our sector, which is um, we provide back office services, our ongoing contracted HR, finance, uh, technology, and data services. So a nonprofit can get a fractional FTE. You can get that little part of a finance person, that piece of a of, you know, few hours a month of HR so that organizations that will never hire their own technology manager, their own finance um, C, you know, um, CFO, their own uh, uh, HR person can have that professional expertise from highly professionally trained people uh, to get their systems and processes in place, uh, but only pay for the fraction of hours that they uh, need each gotcha. month. Um, and given the size of our sector, that business model is um, not easy to deliver, but it is um, it is a real value um, to the sector. Good. All right. Well, thank you for sharing with that. I, I'd like to thank so very much uh, Nancy Long for from 501 Commons for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please uh, feel free to share it with a friend. And also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Also, if you liked today's podcast, please give us a review. Um, hopefully it's five stars um, because that's the way um, the algorithm works to uh, move uh, the nonprofit MBA podcast up. And we've been uh, doing this for four years. It's a very popular podcast. We have thousands of listeners. We want to grow that because I think the guests like Nancy are fantastic. Um so, of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, uh, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or just visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com where you can get a free offer in less uh, two minutes, no documentation. You can just see, oh, well, this is what we would be approved for and how much it costs and everything like that. It's it's uh, pretty simple. Uh, see, Nancy, if like people- Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> One thing I realized I should have said is that the salary information I have is available free on our website. There's actually a website app as well as the report. That's unusual. And it's because it was funded by uh, King County Veterans and Human Services Levy. And so we have it available as public information. It can be used by anybody anywhere in the country. So Good. sorry, I should have said that. No, that's okay. And we'll have the link on our uh, notes too for the show. So that, that'll help people as well. Um, 
Um, Nancy, if, if people want to reach you other than the website, uh, you know, which is 501commons.org, um, how would they go about doing that? Just uh, Nancy at 501commons.org. Um, happy to hear from you if I can help direct you to uh, resources. Um, if you'd like to have a wage study for your community, we can uh, connect you to the firm that we used. And, um, and please do take a look at the data and the report. There will be a report uh, on the employee engagement survey in the next few weeks uh, that will also be released. Great. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Enjoy it very and, much. Yep. And I want to thank all of our listeners out there. Um, you guys are out there making the world a better place. It, it, we, we, I, I, I personally thank you for doing that. You're out there doing all the hard work. Um, Nancy and I need to do our part as well, although Nancy's doing it in many more ways than I am. And I'm trying, I, and I, I try to be a good person every day and, and I'm on some boards and you know donating quite a bit of money. And so that's all trying to make a little a bit of an impact. So I wanna thank you all for uh, listening today and I wish you all have a fantastic day and try to take good care of yourself. We all need you. Everybody have a great day. <music>